This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, I thought that the NFL Draft Day number 2 was going to be the only thing we were going to be talking about today, but I guess that's not how it worked out, is it? Yeah, no, it was not. It is a much more hectic day than I was planning on. And, uh, you know, it's funny because yesterday we learned that they weren't going to be making Quinn and Williams available for us today. And, uh, you know, I... I, like a lot of other people, was was excited about the new Avengers movie that, opening this weekend, but I was disappointed about the fact that I probably wasn't going to be able to get to see it. I was worried about, you know, catching spoilers because I have to be on the internet, but they told us yesterday they're not going to make Quinn and Williams available, so I went and I looked, and I was like, ooh, I can go see an 11 o'clock showing of Avengers this morning. It'll be great. I'll go do that. I'll come back. I'll relax a little bit, and then I'll... Uh, be ready to cover the draft. And I get out of the Avengers movie, and I blame you for all of this. <laughs> it's, this is, yeah, I blame it all on you because I look at my phone, and there's a text from you. What's going on with this back stuff? And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? And then so I asked you, and then you told me, and then I looked, and I was like, oh, man, all right. I, when I get home, I'll look into this. And then I looked into it, and then I decided to share what I what I was told, and I spent the next couple hours just reading and going through it and trying to explain over and over again what I thought I made pretty perfectly clear in my tweets, but apparently not because a lot of people were having trouble uh, interpreting what I tweeted and thinking I was saying things that I wasn't saying. But uh, it definitely led to an interesting day. And then, of course, we led up to the draft and had to wait out that second round with the rumors of them trading up. I didn't even bother to look into the rumors of them trading up, to be honest. After all the smoke we heard about the trades yesterday and then everything about going on, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait and see what happens. If they trade up, then I'll do it then. I, I don't feel like calling and being used for smoke purposes, even though I genuinely believe they were talking and trying to do it. They just couldn't get something worked out. But I didn't feel like doing that because there was no point in getting involved in all that. Just wait and see what would happen. And it's, it's been a very interesting day, to say the least. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So let's start from the beginning, and I'll take you through it. Essentially what happened was an article came out this morning from Mike Lombardi, the former general manager currently working for The Athletic. I think he's got a podcast somewhere too, but obviously a very well-connected guy in league circles. And he essentially said that Mike McCagnan was on the hot seat and something could be going on there and he could be in some real trouble. So immediately I'm thinking this sounds kind of odd. So I reached out to somebody that I know that's fairly plugged into league circles. And I said, what's this about? Have you heard anything? His exact words to me were, Gase is swinging his dick around. I thought, okay. And that actually ended up matching one of your theories, Chris, which is how we get to the next step here because... I texted you and said, hey, have you heard anything about this Mac stuff like you said? And you said, oh, I just got out of Avengers. What Mac stuff? And I texted you a link to the article by Lombardi. And you said, okay, I'll go have lunch. And then I'm going to make a few calls and see what's going on. And then you texted me when you found out. And you said, yeah, it looks like the rumor going around or what people have heard is that Gase and Mac are having some friction and there could be a power play there by Gase, which would match up with what I had heard when I was told that Gase was quote-unquote swinging his dick around. So then you went and posted on Twitter and just said, here's what I've heard. You didn't say, this is something I know for a fact. You made it clear who you heard it from. One of the people works in the league, but for another team. One of the people does not work in the league, but is plugged into league circles. And everybody kind of ran with it. And then Manish Mehta from the Daily News was coming out saying there was zero truth to it. And quite frankly, nobody knows for sure exactly what the story is. But it seems like there is a lot of smoke here. And the person that I talk to is somebody that I trust. I know you trust the two people that you talk to. Not necessarily that they have firsthand information, but you trust that the information they gave you as far as what they told you that they heard is legitimate. And also Lombardi, as I said, he's the one where this all started. And he's very plugged in a league circles. He's not just going to make this up out of thin air. He's got people in all the different front offices. So something's going on here, Chris. And to be honest with you, if you go back and listen to the podcast that I did with my friend Travis Wingfield from Locked On Dolphins, and that was on January 8th, we did a head coaching profile. I called it Meet the Candidates on Adam Gase on the off chance that the Jets hired him. I wasn't expecting it to happen. And he painted a picture of what Gase's tenure in Miami was really like. And this is the exact type of thing that I expected. He came in here. He said, oh, I don't care about having control over the roster. I don't care about having final say. But if you looked at Gase's history in Miami, you knew that that's not the type of personality that he is. He's somebody that wants to have the final say. He's somebody that wants to be the most important person in the building. He's somebody that wants to make sure that everyone knows that he's the boss. And he does it while not having total control over a lot of key areas. So this is something I was very, very worried about. And as I've said, I don't worry about Adam Gase's X's and O's ability. That's fine. But that's what a coordinator does. A head coach has to do so much more than that in terms of managing the team. And he didn't do that well in Miami by all accounts. 
And for him to have perspective and learn what he did wrong and come back fresh, that was going to require some time away. And that's not what happened here. He jumped right into another job. And I knew that this was something to worry about. Now, it is possible that nothing comes of this. And this all gets handled behind closed doors. And we don't hear anything else about it. But it seems like there's definitely something there. I don't know if Max is going to get forced out right away because it would be a really bad PR move. I don't think Gase is going to get fired, even if he's doing this and does deserve it. Again, I'm not saying that that's the case, but if he is doing this, then it would seem like after being here for only three months, that would be something that would deserve being fired is trying to make a power play like this. But either way, if these rumors are true, or if at least they're partially true, even if Max stays Boy, things could get real awkward real quick over at Florham Park, right, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. And look, this when you first sent me that and I, I looked at it and I responded, one of the first things I said to you was, I, like, there, there could be some semantics at work and play here or, you know, I need some clarification on here because, A, one of the tweets you read, I read it, and it's read to me like, more like maybe there will be some scouting department changes. And then there was also, I was also wondering, okay, is Mac on the hot seat like immediately? Is this saying that he might get fired soon? Or is this saying if things don't turn around this year, then he's on the hot seat? And if that's the case, then we already knew that. We, I mean, not necessarily that he, but he's on his last legs if this doesn't get turned around. You know, he might maybe get one more year if it's close, but if it's a disaster this season, he's gone. And then if it's okay this year, but then they don't keep improving next year, then he's definitely gone. We've we've known this. We've known this since they fired Bulls and kept him. We knew he was on a short lease there. So if that's, that's what the report was, then this isn't a story at all. But I decided to check into it. And then the other thing, a lot of when I was going on Twitter and tweeting back and forth, a lot of the responses I was getting was none of this makes any sense. And my reaction was, I agree with you. Like, I understand that. That was my reaction too. none of this really makes sense, especially right now. It would just be such a bad look to, to fire either of them at this point. And you obviously to fire Gase would be absurd before he coaches a a game uh and then but to fire mac after allowing him to spend over a million hundred million dollars in free agency and letting him handle the draft that would it would be a really bad look but i guess that i decided to look into it i talked to a couple of people and oh another thing people were saying to me you know oh well they're not from the jets so why would they uh, why would you believe them well, this is how it works in the NFL, man. If something's going on within a team, other teams hear about this stuff. They, this is a, the whole NFL. It's like it's a big high school. It's just like anything else. It's another circle. People gossip. People talk. Think you hear about these things. I have heard things about other teams from being inside the Jets building plenty of times. Uh, that happens all the time. And they have no reason to lie about it. The, the people who would have a reason to lie about it would be people from the Jets. Like They're, they're going to be less likely to tell me the truth no matter what. So I talked to two people who I trust would, would not lie to me. They don't get anything out of lying to me. It doesn't benefit. I talk about this all the time when we 
talk about reports when you have to try to figure out, you know, who does it serve and this and that. The two people I talk to don't aren't served in any way, shape or form by by saying that this is something that happened. But I called them. I talked to them. They again, they did not sit there and say that a lot of people talk, thought mistook my tweets for me saying, oh, McCagnan's going to be getting fired. And I don't know how they did that. But I talked to them. They said they confirmed the rumors. That's what I reported. That's what I uh, said is that these rumors are out there. People are talking about it. They've been talking about it for quite a while since around the start of free agency and free agency. There's been some talk about that. And the prevailing theory is that Gase is making a power play. About both both sources told me that they did not think that you know they they had no idea if it would work and they didn't expect that uh, you know any type of move would be made a big move like firing McCagney would be made really soon mostly just because like I said it would be a really bad look if they come out now just a couple months after firing Bulls but keeping the GM letting the GM hire the coach and then just wait until after the draft it, it wouldn't make sense and the bulk of uh, McCagnan's job as the GM is going to be done for the season after the drafts. There is still obviously, you know, training camp cuts to do. There is still trades that he can make and pull off. But the bulk, the heavy lifting of the job is done now. So even if you were, if Christopher Johnson's thinking, okay, I'm going to end up firing him, it'd be best to just save face and just wait until after the season. Now, you know, we talked about this before we came on. What both of us would do is we would sit them both down and we would be like, listen, you guys have to work this thing out like adults. And if not, then you're both gone at the end of the season and we're just going to start all over again. But again, these rumors are out there. And I asked specifically, I asked both of them, I said, are, are these just rumors or do you think there's something to it? And there was a, we don't know, but there's, there's too much talk. There's too much smoke for there not to be some type of truth, some type of, uh, you know, something to this. And then also both of them were, neither of them were surprised by this, like you said. And we talked about it on this podcast. You can go back and listen to the, the podcast I were on was on with you where we both had the same exact concerns about Adam Case. And this was the concern for him to come in and do it before the season even starts. That's a surprise, but he likes to be in control. So it's possible. It is definitely possible. But again, all I really did, all I reported was that other people confirmed that the rumors are out there. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's really remarkable that this would happen so quickly. As I've been saying, I'm not surprised that Adam Gase would pull a move like this. I am kind of surprised that he did it this quickly before they've even had a training camp. But either way, this is a situation where if the rumors are true, and I think that 
there's got to be at least some level of truth to it. This is going to get really weird between the Mac factions and the Gase factions. You could see a situation where you have different camps leaking different things to different reporters to make different people look good and different people look bad. That's if both guys stay. I would imagine both guys probably will. If anything, Mac would be the one forced out because, as you said, Chris, Gase was just hired, so it would look crazy for them to get rid of him before he's even coached a game. But I think the proper course of action here is, like you said, just sit these guys down and say, guys better work this out. And if you don't, you're both out of here, and we'll make Greg Williams the interim coach, and we'll just start from scratch. But I think this shows the danger of the half measures. They should have just started from scratch, brought in a new general manager, given him total control of the football operation, told him to do whatever he wanted, hire his own people, hire a coach, hire staff, and then get out of the way and let him do that. And by doing it this way, this was always the risk, especially when you had Mac, who's probably on semi-thin ice to begin with, and Adam Gase, who, as we know, is somebody that likes to be in control of things and I'm sure doesn't enjoy answering to Mike McCagnin no matter what he says publicly. And this is what you end up getting. So we'll see how this develops, but it definitely has the makings of a bit of a disaster. Hopefully they figure out a way to iron this out going forward because, quite frankly, they need to if they're going to be able to be successful in the 2019 season. We've seen already that they've made some draft picks. Day one, we talked about Quinn and Williams. Day two, there was all this talk of them trying to jump up into the second round. Chris, I know you said you didn't even bother looking into it because of the fact that you figured it was just smoke because of what had happened the day before, where we heard all these rumors about trades and then they didn't actually do anything. Today, I would assume that there was legitimate interest in trading up into the second round, but the Jets didn't really have that much ammo. They probably would have had to give up a first rounder next year or at least the second and third from next year's draft and probably just didn't feel comfortable doing it, right? Yeah, and look, it's been reported that they did try to trade up. Uh, Manish Mehta reported that they tried to trade up with the Colts. Rich Samini confirmed that. But I, I was sitting there. I saw those uh, the reports of that, and I was just like, I'm not even going to bother getting into it. Like, it. like you just said, after all the stuff yesterday, which I, I, I know they were definitely listening to offers, but they didn't get enough. There was so, it, was, it was just so much. I spent so much time trying to figure out who they would trade, what that team was trading for, who would they try to get there. And then on top of that, I was sitting there just like you just said, and I'm like, they can't trade up this high. They can't like they don't have the ammo to trade up this high. So unless they were going to give up both their threes and a four, or you know, it, it would have been too much with this as many holes as they have on the roster and as few picks as they had. They couldn't really afford to just sit there and just package all their picks to move up into the top of the second round. And again, not win the value in this draft. It was really in the second and third round that was going to cost a lot. So they didn't do that. And uh, that's just just the case. Now, of course, McCagnon, he's very thorough in his job. We, we complain about a lot of the stuff he's done. He's always going to pick up the phone and he's going to check. If maybe some other team is desperate to trade out and they just want to pick up one extra pick to trade out, then they would do it. But for them to have to jump from you know the beginning of the third all the way up to the beginning of the second, that was going to cost them too much. So I didn't even bother to look into it. Like I said, I, 
had a, a long day already. The draft hadn't even started, so I wasn't about to sign up for that. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Actually wasn't in favor of trading into the second round because I realized that without the proper ammo, it was going to just take too much. They were going to have to probably give up a first rounder next year. And if you're a team like the Jets where maybe you're a fringe playoff contender, there's a decent chance that you're going to be picking in the top half of the draft next year. You don't want to be giving up that pick to go up and get a guy that maybe you like, but is it really worth giving up that kind of capital to get? Greedy Williams could be a solid corner, but I don't know that I love him enough to do a move like that. So I really didn't want them to do it unless they were going to be able to find a way to move Darren Lee, get an extra pick, and then maybe package that with a fourth rounder, two third rounders, or whatever it was going to be. I didn't really want them to dip into next year's capital, certainly not the first rounder. And so they didn't. They actually stayed put. They didn't make a move, even though I suppose they tried, according to Manish Mehta and Rich Samini. And then the third round came around. And Chris, we've been talking about this for a while My scenario that I really liked was taking Quinn and Williams at number three because he was the best player in the draft by far, and they did that last night. And then tonight, the name I really wanted to watch for was Ja'Kai Polite, the edge rusher from Florida. We know the deal there. Ja'Kai Polite is a guy that if you watch his tape, you saw the explosion. You saw the way that he uses his hands. You saw his pass rushing technique, his different moves, how he can win inside and outside. His production, he had 11 sacks at Florida. He had a nonstop motor when he was on the field. This is not to say he's perfect. He's got his weaknesses. He's not great in the run game. His technique isn't awful. He's not the worst run defender ever, but he's not great. And he doesn't have super strength because he's on the small side, 230, 235. But this is a guy that we knew had top 15 to top 20 in the draft talent. And he dropped for reasons other than his ability to play football because I just listed a whole bunch of positives that very few of the pass rushers in this draft are capable of. The reason that he dropped is because at the combine, he came in overweight, he had terrible workouts, and then according to reports, had even worse interviews where he wasn't even prepared for basic questions. One story that I saw had him not even understanding why somebody would ask him about watching tape and not understanding why anybody would watch tape of themselves to improve. If that That's true. Whoever his agent is should be fired for not preparing him properly. But that was a guy that I looked at and said, here's somebody that has the talent to be a very effective edge rusher at the NFL level. And he's going to drop out of the first round, might even make it to the third round. You take a swing on him because guys with that kind of talent are worth the risk in the third round. You could draft a safe player, but you know that he's never going to get past a certain point. If you really want a stud at that position in the third round, you're going to have to take a risk like that. And so Polite was a guy for me that I would have absolutely taken if he fell to the Jets in the third round. I've been saying this for quite a while. And so when the Jets pick came up in the third round, Polite was on the board. That's who I still wanted. And sure enough, Chris, shock of all shocks, 
They did what I wanted yesterday and drafted Quinn and Williams at number three, and they did it again tonight at number 68. They picked Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. I'm thrilled with this one because we know what the character concerns are, but now it is up to the Jets coaching staff to get the most out of Ja'Kai Polite. It's up to Greg Williams to keep his head on straight. But as I said, the smart teams take gambles like this. You cannot get a guy with Ja'Kai Polite's talent in the third round if there isn't some defect here. And we know what the defect is, but we also know what he's capable of. You watch that film and you can see the special pass rusher that he can be. If he can get back down a little bit, I think 230, 235 might be a little light, but if he could maybe settle into 240, he should still have that explosiveness. We know that he knows how to pass rush. It's not something that he needs to learn. That's not to say that he's perfect and he can't improve, but for how far along he is at 21 years old as a pass rusher, absolutely astounding the kind of talent this kid has for somebody that was available in the third round. So I'm thrilled with this pick, and I think it's the perfect bookend to the Quinn and Williams pick because now you have that inside pressure, you have the outside pressure, and you've got Quinn and Williams and Leonard Williams up front creating havoc, and then Ja'Kai Polite coming in from the edge. This defense could be really, really difficult for opposing offenses to deal with. Yeah, and you know, fans obviously wanted an edge rusher in the first round. We all know that. It was a story leading up to the draft. It was a story after they picked Quinn and Williams. And we both sat here saying, you know, you can rush the passer from inside. And I even saw this. Somebody tweeted out, I forget who it was, busy, crazy day. Somebody tweeted out, and, uh, you know, the top three uh, leaders in sacks last year were all interior defensive linemen. Um, so that was the argument we were making, but to have them be able to sit there in the third round and get somebody who is as an edge rusher, you put on the tape, you watch the film of him and that is first round talent. He is a better pure pass rusher right now than Josh Allen. Josh Allen probably has a higher ceiling, but he is a better pure pass rusher than than Josh Allen. He is really, really good on tape. Like you said, he's not great against the run. But with this defense, who really cares? They have plenty of people who can stop the run. Even if he's not a a three-down player or even a two-down player, you just bring him in for designated passing uh, downs, and you just bring him along slowly there. And then this is another thing I talk about. We, uh, the, you know, the word culture gets talked or, tossed around, and I kind of hate that. But this is where the idea or at least the intent of the culture comes into play here. You can draft a guy like Ja'Kai Polite and then put him on a team with Jamal Adams, with Marcus May, who hasn't been healthy, but he is a hard worker, really good kid. He went to Florida as well, so they can bring him under his wing. You got C.J. Mosley. He's coming in with the same class as Quinnen Williams, super hard worker, seems to be a great kid. He gets to spend time around those types of people, and, and that will rub off on him. They can help bring him along where it's kind of the opposite of where you had Muhammad Wilkerson, where he, you know, kind of gave up 
and then that he rubbed off on Sheldon even more and some of the other players. So it's the reverse effect of that. So that's where the intent and the idea of culture does mean something. You can get a little bit of value there because you can take a chance on a Ja'Kai Polite, somebody who was super talented, but people question his maturity. And the the combine stuff, he came, obviously came in overweight. He ran a slow 40 time, a really slow 40 time with a 4.84 or something. Uh, but that was because of the added weight and then the interview process. And I don't know how many fans really understand the, the interview process, what teams do there. A lot of times the teams really ask weird off the wall, random questions that are designed to get a reaction out of the player. They want to see if that player will react poorly. They want to see that type of stuff. And it seems that his agent just didn't prepare him well. And he's got quotes from uh, tonight's conference call where he basically seems to say that, allude that, you know, he just wasn't ready when he came in. He said that, you know, there was the report afterwards that, he had said that he was upset and pissed off about uh, how the interview went because they were asking him to, you know, show film and uh, about himself. And, this and, that. and he talked about how the teams were bashing him. And he said he regrets saying anyone's bashing me because they weren't really bashing him. They were just trying to interview a guy and they wanted to see how I reacted. He said it was his fault, and he learned from it. And he said he took this, uh, you know, this made it a learning experience. He's uh, accepted some of his flaws. He's ready to embrace those flaws and to learn from it and to grow and improve as a person. So, again, those interview combines can be really tricky, and I don't know anything about him personally, about his character. I'm not saying this to defend him. He could... He could be an awful person for all I know, but he, it does sound like regardless that his agent didn't prepare him well enough because most of these players, they come in and they're ready for that stuff. So you hear some of the off the wall questions these players get asked and they kind of can just laugh at it and roll with it. And he didn't do that for whatever reason. And maybe that is partly, a, a, a you know, immaturity and character and partly the agent not getting him ready. But I think there has to be at least some combination there of, of it. And the Jets brought him in for a workout themselves. They brought him into Florham Park, so they visited with them. They know they got another chance to interview him in one-on-one, where assumingly he was a little more well-prepared. Obviously, they liked what they heard and saw out of him enough to make him the pick at the, in the top of the third round. And again, he is a first round talent on film. He is not the complete player. He is not going to help in the run right away, at least. But he is a really good pass rusher. If he can sit there and, you know, get his his weight down a little bit and uh, just work on some technique and improve and get better, he can become a better all-around player. He can become a better pass rusher. But right now, he is a really good pass rusher coming out of college. And that's what this team needs. Everybody was screaming for the edge. They got the best player in the draft that can also rush the passer from the inside which will only make Ja'Kai Polite's job that much easier when he comes in to rush the passer. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. 
This reminds me a little bit of Lavernius Coles, because if you remember, everyone knew Lavernius Coles had first-round talent, but he'd been kicked out of Florida State for a mishap that had happened at a clothing store where he was accused of accepting a gift because somebody that worked there gave him and Peter Warwick clothes. He ended up really taking the fall for it, and Peter Warwick stayed in school. I think he got suspended for a couple of games. And then after that, Lavernius Coles had a chip on his shoulder. His stock dropped. He ended up going in the third round, and we obviously know what happened. He had a heck of a career with the New York Jets. But if you want to look at a guy that dropped at a position similar, go back and look at 2011 with Justin Houston when he failed a marijuana test at the Combine. And this was a guy that would have gone in the first round, first round talent, dropped to the third. Now, I'm not comparing Polite to Justin Houston, obviously. What I'm saying is Ja'Kai Polite also was a mid-first round talent who dropped to the third for character concerns. In the case of Houston, it was a failed drug test. In the case of Polite, it was what went on at the Combine and in the interviews. But I think if you look at his tape, you see a guy that could definitely get you double-digit sacks on a regular basis if everything goes well. And I think because his game is pretty far along as far as a pass rusher, he's very developed for 21 years old. I think you could make the case that the only one with his talent that is more developed is Nick Bosa at this point. That's not to say that I would have him ranked second behind Bosa. I would probably have him third or fourth. I would have Allen second, largely because his upside and also his size as well. Allen is 260 pounds plus, and we've seen what he can do at that size. Ja'Kai Polite is a lot smaller, so you have question marks there. I'd say he's right there with Brian Burns, so he's in that top four as far as I'm concerned. I think he's a better pure pass rusher than Cleveland Farrell, who went fourth overall. So for the Jets to get a guy like this at number 68, again, we know the risks involved, but the smart teams take swings on guys like this. And the dumb teams are the ones that pick defensive tackles from small schools that are about two years shy of qualifying for Social Security benefits. So this is what the Jets have not done enough of in the past, and now they are doing it. And I think it's a really smart gamble because, sure, all the character concerns could turn out to burn the Jets and Ja'Kai Polite could fail. But with that kind of talent in the third round, you have to take that risk if you want to find hidden gems because, Chris, as we know, If you get a guy that talented in the third round, there's a reason. Either there was an injury, or as we said with Justin Houston, a failed test, or some sort of thing that happened off of the field. Always going to be some reason that a guy this talented drops, and the only way to get him this late in the draft without having to use a first-round pick is by taking a calculated gamble like this. Absolutely the right move, though, by the Jets. It may work, it may not. But you've got to take chances like this if you want to be able to get gems in the mid-rounds. And that's what they did here. It's what I think they should have done. I'm very pleased with it. The right pick. We'll see if it works out. But absolutely, they had to take this swing. Yeah, I agree. Again, when when you get there in the third round and you see a first-round talent, I mean, and, and like the only way you pass on that is if it's, you know, a serious, like, you know, violent crime type of uh, character concern, you know, like uh, you could, we've seen that, you know, uh, not to bring this up and get touch on this subject, but you know, the Tyreek Hill situation when he was coming out of college, they, especially in today's NFL, if, if he had a situation like that, then I'm going to say, okay, maybe you want to stay away from him. But you got somebody that you're just questioning his maturity and he had a bad interview at the combine. 
yeah, uh, I know. Give me that first-round talent, especially when it's at a position of need. Uh, there's just no no reason to pass that up. It's too big of a, a good combination there to bring in. It's exactly what they need as a player just like that. They've been looking for an edge guy to come in at, at somebody even remotely close to as talented as he is to play in that position. Now they got it. You know, it's not just going to be Jordan Jenkins running out there again. You you have a bona fide pass rusher, somebody with the ability to do it. It makes too much sense there. Yeah, this isn't Jalen Ferguson where you had to worry about a pass where he was violent. These are just things that he did that were boneheaded. And yeah, you could make the case that that's the type of character you don't want to take a risk on. But again, in the third round to get a talent like that, I think you absolutely had to do it, especially when you had such a pressing need at edge and you were able to get a guy with that type of ability in the third round. They've been looking for an edge rusher with his kind of talent for years. They took a swing on Vernon Golston. That didn't work out. But other than that, they haven't had anybody on this roster anywhere near as talented as him at the edge. So they had to go ahead and do this when he was on the board in the third round. And I'm glad that they did. And then they had a second third round pick, but they actually traded up a spot. This was kind of weird. They gave up their seventh round pick to move up one spot to number 92 and take Chuma Edoga, the offensive tackle from USC. You may be thinking to yourself, I wonder if this guy played with Sam Darnold. Well, he did. Adoga was there when Sam Darnold was the quarterback, so familiar there. I would assume that Darnold talked to the team about him and probably put in a good word because I would imagine if he didn't, then they wouldn't have drafted him. But the interesting thing with Adoga is he was a guy that was recruited very highly as a guard coming out of high school, ended up playing tackle in college. So there could be some versatility there, which is good because, as we know, the Jets have problems all over the line. Center, ironically, is the only one where you don't have to necessarily worry about injuries, but the other four guys have all been hurt. Beecham had that ACL injury. We know what happened with Brandon Shell. Assemblies had injuries. Brian Winters has been banged up over and over again. So having a guy that could potentially play tackle or guard is good. Plus, we know that Winters and Assembly only have one year left on their deals, and neither of them have any dead money, so you could get rid of either one of them if you wanted to. And Brandon Shell and Kelvin Beecham are both on expiring contracts, so he could possibly slide in there. Either way, you want some depth. This is a guy that's not super strong, but he's a really good athlete. He's got good feet. He can move. His run blocking is very smooth. His pass blocking needs some help. But Frank Pollock is here to hopefully help him with that. He's a little undersized, right around 300 pounds. It's not exactly what you want to see with a tackle. But I'm sure that they'll be able to get him in the weight room and throw some protein down his throat and put a little bit of weight on him. Either way, this is a guy that was a really nice pick for them because he provides versatility. He provides them somebody that could be an option for them if they choose to move on from Beecham or Shell or both. And so to get him at number 92 and with the familiarity that he has with Sam Darnold seems to be a really nice value for them at that spot. Yeah, this is kind of similar to Kai Polite uh, pick just in the sense that uh, it's not quite as extreme, but he just strictly talent-wise, Chuma Adoga should have been drafted higher. If you're just looking at talent, now uh, why he fell was a large part due to people uh, questioning how much he loves football. So that's part of the reason there. But he, so he should have been drafted higher. And again, you 
get somebody there in that third round where you have uh, you think he is you know more talented than that go ahead and take that chance uh i don't i don't know for sure that they talked to sam darnold but i'd be absolutely floored if they didn't and i'd be floored if sam darnold didn't give them a, a strong recommendation of him like you said he's you know an athletic tackle with long arms He's got really quick feet, good flexibility. In the, he can get to the second level real quickly and block on there. He's he's definitely a better run blocker than a pass uh, protector, but you know he needs to add some strength, power, add some more weight. And uh, offensive line coach Frank Pollock really good has a history of being really good coach and uh, coaching up the offensive line players and. You know, Ja'Kai Polite came into the combine overweight, and that's that's why he ran a slow forty. That's a concern teams had. You get him with an NFL dietitian. You get him to eat the right food. That should be able to come under control. And Chuma needs to add some weight and add some bulk. Get him with an NFL dietitian. Get him on a diet where they just feed him a whole bunch of food. Lucky him, he gets to eat like uh, to get fat on purpose. <laughs> that's that's everybody's dream. Um, so he gets to do that. Uh, that should help him there. And again, you get Pollock to help him along, to teach him some fundamentals and technique stuff, to work on all that. And he he's played right tackle all but two games in college. He played right tackle. He played left tackle there. I think he can play left tackle, but he can also come in as a guard. Again, he's a much better run blocker. He can come in as a guard. He could be, you know, the extra offensive lineman that could be a backup at guard or tackle. You could bring him in for jumbo sets as the sixth offensive lineman. You can do all types of things like that. Or you could just sit him for a year and let him develop with Brandon Shell and Beecham's both uh, going to be free agents soon, both of them having injury issues. And then, you know, both Assembly and Winters on the inside have uh, injury issues themselves. So he can just be basically like the sixth man in basketball. He, he will be the sixth man of the offensive line. Sometimes use that uh, jumbo set or just be a backup to fill in any of those four other spots. But this, again, this is why... You want to go best player player available in the draft because uh, you're drafting a player for four or five years, depending on where you draft them. They have him under contract. Well, once he signs, he'll be under contract for four years. He will be able to. This isn't about this year. They're not the Chiefs. They're not going for the Super Bowl. So if you get anything out of them this year, that's great. But with both uh, tackles coming up free agency, they can just focus on developing him and then use him hopefully to protect Sam Darnold in the future. And they'll have, you know, a left or right tackle there. Again, I think he can play left, but he is a really talented player. There's obviously, again, the concerns about how much he loves the game, and I don't have an answer for you there, but. Then again, same thing I'll say with Polite. You bring him in. Obviously, if Sam did give a strong recommendation, then he could spend time with Sam. This feels like one of those things where, uh, you know, they'll make Sam and Chuma uh, roommates during training camp. Let them hang out. Let Sam bring him along. 
help him. And if he spends time with Sam, gets around these other people, that'll help rub off on him too. So this is a, another really high upside pick. And we've talked about Matt going safe in the, in the first round. And that was worked out, and it's a good thing. But in these later rounds, you kind of got to roll the dice a little bit. You can't go safe. He's done too many times taking the old, the older players. Uh, you know, he's just a hard worker, this and that. That's great. It's all well and good. But you want the talent. So in the, the third round and beyond, if there's somebody who can have a first-round talent or maybe a second-round talent, look at Chris Herndon last year. He, he dropped because of injury. But if he didn't get injured, he probably would have been the second-round pick. They got him, and people were surprised. Oh, my God, he outplayed his draft position. Yeah, but he only dra- dropped because of the injury and because he wasn't able to work out for teams. They weren't sure how soon he'd be ready, this and that. Um, so it's the same type of thing here. The talent is there with both of these players. If they can just smooth everything else that there, they can work on some of their technique. They have high-impact players with a ton of ability that can be really, really good for this team for a long time. Should mention that you said that one of the concerns was how much he loves football. That might account for his inconsistent play, which is part of the reason that he dropped. And also, he's had his fair share of injuries. Nothing that would have kept him out for an entire season, but missing a couple of games here and there. And then also, he was suspended once for an infraction of team rules. So there's a little bit of a red flag there. But yeah, I think a really talented guy... We talked about the fact that he's got some weaknesses that Pollock is going to have to work on, but versatile could potentially play guard or tackle gives them the ability to plug somebody in if somebody gets hurt, which they desperately need because let's be honest, their backup offensive linemen are terrible and all four of the guys outside of Harrison, ironically enough, because he's the weakest one on the line, all four of the other guys have had major injuries. So you need to have insurance there. And like we said, both tackles are going to be free agents at the end of 2019. So I think that that was a pick that made a lot of sense. And I think the Jets did really well overall. Moving on to the rest of the league, Chris, let's go through the second and third round, and I'll just kind of run through this, and then you can give your thoughts on each round. So in the second round, it started off with Byron Murphy coming off the board, the corner from Washington. He went to Arizona. That's a guy that a lot of people thought could go in the first round, but he ended up slipping to being the first pick in day two. I think that was a good one for Arizona. Rocky Sin, another defensive back coming off the board from Temple. That's a guy that Connor Rogers said people should keep their eye on in the first round, and he almost did make it to the first round. Ended up going second pick in the second round to the Indianapolis Colts. The Jaguars snagged Jawan Taylor with the third pick in the second round. That was a great move. They got Josh Allen and Jawan Taylor on consecutive days. Really strong draft for the Jaguars. I like Taylor a lot. I think he could be a really good tackle for a long time. Really strong grip strength. And he's going to need to work on his pass protection. But boy, is he a mauler in the run game. Debo Samuel goes with the fourth pick in the second round the wide receiver from South Carolina going to the San Francisco 49ers like him I think he could be a really solid receiver I don't know that I see him as a star and I actually think there were better options there but he should be able to give Jimmy Garoppolo a nice weapon Greg Little the tackle from Mississippi he goes fifth in the round to the Carolina Panthers they desperately needed some help on that offensive line so there you go Greg Little comes in and should help out I will note this Jets fans if you want to go and watch when Alabama played against Mississippi, guess what? Quinnen Williams ate Greg Little for lunch. 
So if you want to see that, you'll see another example of why Quinn and Williams is special because Greg Little is a guy that almost got picked in the first round of this draft and Quinn and Williams dominated him. Cody Ford went sixth to the Bills. That's another really good pick for the Bills. They had a good draft so far. The guard from Oklahoma, he's a guy that could be a starter from day one. And the Bills are going to need as much help as they can get blocking because when you have three really good running backs like TJ Yeldon, Shady McCoy, and Josh Allen, it's very important for the offensive line to be strong. So that was a good pick by the Bills. Seventh pick in the round, Sean Bunting goes to Tampa Bay. He's a corner from Central Michigan. Trayvon Mullen, the cornerback from Clemson, goes eighth overall in the round to the Raiders. The ninth pick in the round, Dalton Reisner, the tackle from Kansas State. This is a guy that a lot of people had on the Jets' radar. Really good tackle, and I think he should be somebody that can block perhaps for the guy that was picked after him. We know that Joe Flacco is going to be the starter, but Drew Locke, who we thought could go with the 10th overall pick yesterday to Denver instead, he goes with the 10th pick in the second round, 42nd overall. Chris, I'm going to let you talk about this in a little bit too, but this is a guy that I'm not that high on, but if you're going to take a stab at him, this is a pretty decent spot to do it. You had Jelani Tavai going 11th in the round, the linebacker from Hawaii to the Detroit Lions. Elton Jenkins, the center for Mississippi State, goes to the Packers. That's an interesting pick because they already have a pretty decent center. And Jenkins is a guy that a lot of Jets fans had their eye on, so that was kind of disappointing. Jawan Williams, the cornerback from Vanderbilt, goes to the Patriots. Greedy Williams, who a lot of people thought the Jets might target if they were to trade back into the second round because he's a guy that many believed would go in the top 15 or 20 of the draft. He slipped. A lot of the reason for that is he's not a very good tackler, and a lot of teams thought that he was soft, so they stayed away. But he plays good press coverage, so a lot of people thought he would be a good fit in Greg Williams' defense. But he goes to the Browns with the 46th overall pick, 14th in the round. 15th in the round was the safety from Utah, Marquise Blair. He goes to the Seattle Seahawks. Eric McCoy, another guy that was on the Jets' radar, center from Texas A&M. People were hoping he would slide to the third. He didn't. The Saints grabbed him with the 16th pick in the second round. 17th pick in the second round was Ben Bonagu, the edge from Texas Christian. That was a pick by the Colts, so they continue to build out that defense. Irv Smith, the tight end from Alabama, goes to the Minnesota Vikings, which is interesting because there have been talk that they were shopping Kyle Rudolph as of now. He's still a member of the Minnesota Vikings, but they got themselves some Rudolph insurance. A.J. Brown, one of the best receivers in this draft, the wide receiver from Mississippi, he goes ahead of his teammate, who we'll get to in a little bit. Of course, I'm talking about D.K. Metcalf, but I think A.J. Brown was one of the best receivers in this draft. Really good value there with the 19th pick in the second round. Drew Sample, the tight end from Washington, goes 20th in the round to the Bengals. Miles Sanders, the running back from Penn State, goes 21st to the Philadelphia Eagles, so he stays in the state of Pennsylvania. Lonnie Johnson, the corner from Kentucky, goes to the Houston Texans. The next pick the Texans also had, and they used it on Max Sharping, the tackle from Northern Illinois. The 24th pick, Kansas City, and this is interesting. You mentioned Tyreek Hill before. They drafted a speedy wide receiver who can do returns in Mecole Hardman from Georgia. So that could be their Tyreek Hill insurance in case they decide to cut bait, which we should find out about fairly soon. The Eagles were up on the board again with the 25th pick in the round, and this one broke some Jets fans' hearts, especially Connie Carberg, who this was her guy. She really wanted the Jets to get him, but J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the wide receiver from Stanford. Stanford. Stanford intriguing guy 
basketball background, really good athlete, and could have been a really nice red zone weapon for Sam Darnold, but he goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, so he'll be playing with Carson Wentz. Tristan Hill, the defensive tackle from Central Florida, goes 26th in the second round to the Cowboys. Paris Campbell, who I had mentioned is a possible target because he's really good in space, so he would seem to fit what Adam Gase likes to do. He goes to the Indianapolis Colts, so he'll be a weapon in the offense with Andrew Luck. With the 28th pick in the round, it's Nasir Adderley, the safety from Delaware. He goes to the Chargers. The Rams pick Taylor Rapp, the safety from Washington. Andy Isabella goes with the 62nd overall pick, 30th in the round to the Arizona Cardinals. Andy Isabella drew some comparisons to Wes Welker, potential slot receiver. Had some really nice practices at the Senior Bowl. You may be thinking to yourself, why did Arizona make this pick? This should have been the Miami Dolphins pick after they traded down. You are correct. This is the pick that went to Arizona in exchange for Josh Rosen. We will talk about this after we get through with recapping the draft. But Josh Rosen did end up getting traded to the Miami Dolphins, and this was the pick, Andy Isabella, that went to the Arizona Cardinals. Juan Thornhill, the safety from Virginia, goes with the 31st pick in the second round to Kansas City. And then finally, we saw A.J. Brown come off the board. D.K. Metcalf comes off the board with the final pick in the second round, 32nd in the round. He goes to the Seattle Seahawks, and there was a really cool video of Pete Carroll calling D.K. Metcalf to let him know that he was drafting him. D.K. Metcalf was crying, and Pete Carroll said something like hey I guess we might as well cry together right and they both (laughs) laughed about it so I thought that was really cool but that's the second round I thought DK Metcalf was really good value at the end of the second round I think there's a lot of risk there he's kind of a boomer bust I think if you use him right he should be able to be productive if he stays healthy but the injuries really worry me and I think that's a bigger part of the boomer bust factor with DK Metcalf but that's the second round Chris what are your thoughts anybody jump out at you yeah, there's, I got a bunch of thoughts. I'll I'll try to keep them relatively short. But number one, I'm going to start with the wide receivers. There's a bunch of really good wide receivers in this round. Debo Samuel to San Francisco. Put him in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Oh, man, that's going to be so much fun. I love that kid out of South Carolina. Uh, you know, then A.J. Brown, another guy I really like. Nicole Hardman selection by the Chiefs makes all the sense in the world perfect guy for them to plug in there and be able I'm not saying he's going to beat Tyreek Hill and be able to replace him but he's an excellent fit in the Andy Reid offense catching balls from Patrick Mahomes that's really good I I'm I'm a I'm not I'm just like you we even tweeted this out uh, uh, basically the same thing just uh seconds or minutes apart about the Broncos I'm not a big believer in Drew Locke either but when you come into the draft and you get a tight end like Noah Fant in the first round, and you get inside uh, or you get an offensive tackle slash guard and Dalton Reisner, and you already got those two guys, that's the spot where you go, okay, let me take a shot on a guy, a quarterback like Drew Locke. So I, I really like what they did there. Then there's the centers. Obviously, this was a talk uh, all off season with the Jets. Free agency, the Jets failed to address the position. We talked about how they should try to address this in the draft. Well, the big centers, we knew Bradbury was going to be gone. He went in the first. And then Elgin Jenkins went, and uh, Eric McCoy went after that. The the good the thing about the Elgin Jenkins uh, pick, again, like you said, they have a uh, the Packers have a good center in Corey Lindsley. 
He's, I believe he's entering the final year of his contract, so that's probably why they did this. Maybe if they go ahead and they see Jenkins come in there in minicamp and he looks good, maybe they'll feel comfortable uh, trading him away or they make him a training camp cut. Probably not because I don't think he's getting paid a lot of money, but they could try to trade him for something. And that would be a really good addition to this team. It help solidify the offensive line. So that is something to keep an eye on. Again, I don't think the Jets are going to be able to add uh, somebody in this draft or anybody out there in free agency now that I would feel comfortable saying would beat out Jonathan Harrison to start the season. But if you can go ahead and get a training camp cut or swing a trade for Corey Lindsley, that could solve the issue there. Um, you know, there's a bunch of other TJ Arcega, Whiteside, Paris Campbell, a bunch of other uh, really good receivers, and then the DK Metcalf. That's a really good spot for him. He's a big, strong, fast receiver, and Russell Wilson throws as beautiful as a deep ball as there is in this league. You send him on that go route, and you let him catch those passes from Russell. Uh, it's just a question of how much is Seattle going to throw the ball. They paid Russell Wilson all that money. They Better let him throw the ball a little bit more than they did last year. Um, you know, there, there's a couple other. One player I really like, I talked about. Uh, well, there's, okay, the Miles Sanders pick I love for the Eagles. And that offense, he's a really good player. He's a fun running back, too. And then another one that stands out to me, I talked about yesterday late in the draft. I really like the Chargers selection of Jerry Tillery. They added a safety out of Delaware, Nasir. Adderley, I, I always have trouble pronouncing his name. I'm really bad at pronouncing some of these names, <laughs> by the way. Um, and it's and it's never gonna it's never gonna get better. I was saying, joking to you before about Chuma uh, Adoga. I for some reason I kept wanting to add a B on there and make him a Dogba. And there's no B <laughs> at the end of it, but I keep, my brain keeps wanting to do that. I don't know. I'm weird. It's what happens. What are you gonna do? Um, but yeah, so. And this year, I don't really pick it. I really like uh, the Taylor Rat pick is an interesting pick for the Rams, too. Uh, you know, they lost uh, Marcus Joyner. He was a really good player. They had some, there was some hip, something with his hip. I think it was a hip flexor issue they were concerned about. He ran a really uh, slow 40 time, but it appears that that might be the reason why. However, teams are concerned about whether that could be a long term injury that could affect them. But he's a really good player. You watch the film of him playing at Washington, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of scouts had first-round grades on him just off the tape. So that's a really good player, too. There's a bunch of good players in the in the second round. So it's a shame that the Jets didn't have a pick or two in there. But again, it was, would have been too cost prohibitive for them to trade up there. So they, they stayed put in the third, and they got two really high upside guys. They did not have any picks in the second round, but they had two in the third. We talked about them, so we'll go through the third round, including what the Jets did. First pick in the third round was Zach Allen, the defensive end from Boston College. That's a guy that a lot of people thought might go in the second round. Pretty good value there for Arizona. Next up was the Steelers, and this was the Antonio Brown pick. They used it on Deontay Johnson, the wide receiver from Toledo. Speedy guy who's a really good return man. The funny thing about it is he didn't run a super fast 40, but he said to play much faster in pads. 
sounds a lot like Antonio Brown. I just wonder if he's going to be dyeing his mustache blonde. The oh, next oh, pick oh, was Jalen Hurd, the wide receiver from Baylor. He went to the 49ers, so another weapon there for Jimmy Garoppolo. Then Ja'Kai Polite comes off the board to the Jets. Josh Oliver, the tight end from San Jose State, goes to the Jaguars with the fifth pick in the third round. Daryl Henderson, the running back from Memphis, he goes with the sixth pick in the third round to the Rams, so another toy there for Sean McVay and his offense. Draymond Jones, a defensive tackle from Ohio State comes off the board next, going to the Denver Broncos. The Cincinnati Bengals pick Jermaine Pratt, the linebacker from North Carolina. David Montgomery, the running back from Iowa State, goes next to the Chicago Bears. That's an interesting pick because he could be the replacement for Jordan Howard. A lot of people really liked him. He really made a name for himself playing in Matt Campbell's offense there at Iowa State. Devin Singletary, another interesting running back coming off the board next. This time to the Bills, which is weird because, again, we said this before, they have maybe the most stacked backfield in the entire league with Shady McCoy, TJ Yeldon, Josh Allen, and now Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic. So the Bills have plenty of running backs. Jace Sternberger, the tight end from Texas A&M, goes 12th in the round to the Green Bay Packers. Terry McLaurin, the wide receiver from Ohio State, goes 13th to the Washington Redskins. So he's reunited with Dwayne Haskins, and fingers crossed the two of them are putting up some touchdowns on the Giants for years to come. Chase Winovich, somebody that some people thought might go toward the end of the first round, certainly in the second. He slips to the third, the edge rusher for Michigan. He goes where else? To the New England Patriots, a really good value pick there. Michael Dieter, who is a really underrated guard from Wisconsin, I think he could be a starter day one. He goes to the Dolphins, so he'll be there to help watch Josh Rosen's back, which we all know he could use, especially after what happened in Arizona last year where they almost got him killed. David Long, the corner from Michigan, he goes 16th in the round to the Rams. Sione Takitaki, the linebacker from BYU, he goes 17th in the round to the Cleveland Browns. Will Harris, the safety from BC, he goes to the Detroit Lions with the 18th pick in the round. Nate Davis, a guard I really like, he goes 19th in the round to the Tennessee Titans, so he'll help bolster the protection for Marcus Mariota. Justin Lane, this is somebody that our buddy Jeff Lloyd from Lockdown Browns, who's been evaluating college prospects for a really long time, really, really liked. He's the corner from Michigan State. Jeff thought that he should legitimately be considered in the first round. Instead, he goes with the 20th pick in the third round to the Pittsburgh Steelers. A bargain there. Kalen Saunders, the defensive tackle from Western Illinois, he goes 21st in the round to Kansas City. Jalen Ferguson, we talked about him before, the edge rusher from Louisiana Tech. He goes 22nd in the round to the Baltimore Ravens. No question how talented he is as an edge rusher if you watch his film, especially for a guy his size, but obviously a troubled pass with some violent on his record so that's what kept a lot of teams away but the Ravens at this point decided that they were going to take the same kind of swing that the Jets did on Ja'Kai Polite. Kahali Waring the tight end from San Diego State he goes 23rd in the round some more help for Deshaun Watson Damian Harris the running back from Alabama he goes 24th in the round to the New England Patriots. Cody Barton the linebacker from Utah he goes 25th in the round to the Seattle Seahawks Bobby Okurkaki, the linebacker from Stanford, he goes 26th in the round to the Colts. Connor McGovern, who a lot of people had their eye on for the Jets because he's a guard, but maybe could play a little bit of center. He goes from Penn State to the Dallas Cowboys, so he might potentially be the replacement for Lael Collins because Lael Collins is going to hit free agency, and the Cowboys 
probably are not going to be able to afford him after they paid Tank Lawrence and eventually are going to have to pay Zeke and Dak. You also have Trey Pipkins, the tackle from Sioux Falls. Talk about some small school prospects. He goes to the Chargers. We talked about Chuma Adoga going to the Jets. Miles Boykin, the wide receiver from Notre Dame, he goes to Baltimore. So two wide receivers join Lamar Jackson. I guess they're really going to try and start developing him in the passing game and giving him some weapons to throw to. Jamel Dean, the corner from Auburn, goes to the Bucks with the 31st pick in the round. With the 32nd pick in the round, the Giants picked O'Shane Zimenez, the edge rusher from Old Dominion. Dawson Knox, who gets picked despite never catching a touchdown pass in college. Connor Rogers was talking about that when he appeared on the podcast. He comes out of Mississippi, and now he joins the Buffalo Bills. Bobby Evans, a tackle from Oklahoma, who Daniel Jeremiah really liked. He goes with the 34th pick in the round. Of course, if you notice, this round went longer than 32 because this is where the comp picks started. Quincy Williams, a safety from Murray State, goes to the Jaguars with the 35th pick in the round. And there's a little bit of significance there because Quincy Williams has a brother who used to play defensive line for Alabama. You might have heard of him. His name is Quinnen Williams. Mike Edwards, the safety from Kentucky, goes 36th in the round to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Another quarterback comes off the board. This time it's Will Greer, the quarterback from West Virginia. He goes to the Carolina Panthers. So that could be a contingency plan for Cam Newton because we know he's been banged up a lot. We don't know how much more he's got left in the tank. So maybe they're going to develop Greer behind him. Yadni Kajust, this is a guy that we talked about as possibly being a first-round talent as recently as a month or two ago. He dropped because of injuries and questions about his work ethic, but this is a really good pick here for the New England Patriots with the 38th pick in the third round. And then finally finishing off the round, Alexander Madison, the running back from Boise State. So that is the end of the third round. The Jets will pick third in the fourth round, and we'll get into who they could be looking at in just a bit. But first, Chris, I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on the third round. Yeah, a couple thoughts here. The last round, uh, I was talking, I specifically singled out the wide receivers that were taken. This round is the round of the running backs. Pick for the Bears. They got rid of uh, Jordan Howard, like you said, and they bring in David Montgomery. I absolutely love that. But David Montgomery is much better in the passing game. That'll be great for Matt Nagy to use. That that's a great pick there. Uh, Devin Singletary goes to the Bills. Another guy I absolutely love. I love Daryl Henderson for the Rams. That's interesting too. Obviously, they have. Todd Gurley, you know, the injury issues, signed the big contract too. They also have, uh, a, you know, a young guy that they drafted last year, John Kelly out of Tennessee, who I really liked, but he didn't get a lot of runs. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, but the Bills with Devin Singletary, uh, they, they have about 86 running backs right now. I think most of their roster is running backs. Uh, you know, but they got a lot of good ones too. LeSean McCoy is probably not going to be there. I know they just signed TJ Yeldon. They just signed Frank Gore. Uh, so somebody's going to be out there, but Devin Singletary is a really nice pick. The Patriots, th- this is the round. These are the rounds where the Patriots end up winning the Super Bowl. These are the picks that they do. We were talking before uh, about Chase Winovich. He's a player I, I liked. He's on the older side, but I like him a lot more now that he's going to be in the Patriots system. He's going to be playing for Bill Belichick. He's a guy that Bill Belichick will get the most out of. 
And then the same goes for Kajust. Uh, you know, Dante Scarnecchia is going to be coaching him up there. There's nobody, nobody in the business better than him. And Bill Callahan's probably the closest you're going to get. And then uh, probably behind them, but it's, Dante Scarnecchia is great. And what he's going to be able to do with Kajust is going to be that's again. They, these are the rounds where the Patriots dominate, and where they find people that fit them perfectly. They find players that people like, but they're not sure exactly what to do. They'll figure out exactly what to do there. Uh, and there's another one. This is a long card that I really like, and I like it in large part because of potential and the wild cardness of it, but also the fit and the Jalen Hurd, uh, the wide receiver slash running back out of Baylor to go play with uh, and Mike Shana, uh, Kyle Shanahan's system. I, I'm excited to see what Shanahan can do with him and how he's going to use him. There's a lot of untapped potential there. And then the interesting thing is, uh, another interesting pick is Deontay Johnson out of Toledo, wide receiver for the Steelers. I I know I've heard Connor Rogers talk about him a bunch. He's, he's a vertical deep threat, but the steel, you can sit there and be say who or what's going on here, and you can question it if you want. But the Steelers made the pick, and I don't know of any team in the NFL that that does a better job of drafting receivers than the Pittsburgh Steelers do. So that's going to be somebody interesting to keep an eye out there for. There's definitely nobody in the NFL at this point that has a better track record of drafting wide receivers. So you would think that if he's going to succeed anywhere, it would be in Pittsburgh. And that's an intriguing pick and a wide receiver to watch. There are a couple of other wide receivers to watch, though, Chris, that haven't even come off the board yet. And the Jets are picking third when the draft resumes with day three. A couple of really talented players at wide receiver. Hakeem Butler from Iowa State. This is a guy that I would be all over if he's still there when the Jets pick with the third pick in the fourth round. Big body receiver I'm not saying that he's exactly like him So I don't want people to say Oh you said he's going to be No 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 But if you watch his film You definitely see a decent amount of Brandon Marshall in him That's somebody that would be all over in the fourth round Kelvin Harmon the wide receiver From North Carolina State is still on the board Riley Ridley from Georgia The younger brother of Calvin Ridley He's still available And there are other players that are there Chauncey Gardner-Johnson Now I know a lot of people are going to say You can't pick a safety You can't pick a safety Listen, we all like Marcus May But the safety depth is kind of thin And May's been hurt a lot So that might not be the worst pick in the world If he's high on your list As far as best available players Speaking of which Deontay Thompson and Amani Hooker Are both available If you're looking for a corner Julian Love from Notre Dame is available The only question there really is the medical So you kind of have to keep an eye on that And a wild card here The Jets had a lot of running backs in to visit One guy that Jeff Lloyd loves And I watched his film And I have to say he's pretty explosive Benny Snell Jr., the running back from Kentucky Could be an interesting thought for the Jets I know that running back's not a big need But he could be somebody that they see as a long-term solution Because remember, Ty Montgomery is only on a one-year deal And you don't want to run Le'Veon Bell into the ground Not just in 2019, but in 2020 and 2021 So they may just see him as too talented to pass up on But there are some players that the Jets could get With that third pick on day number three And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with it Chris, any particular favorites that you think we should watch out for? 
Well, if a team butler is going to be Brandon Marshall, like you say, then <laughs> they, they have to go ahead and take a team butler. No, I'm just kidding. Well, Obviously. Chris, I oh. saw that you said that Adam Gase is definitely getting Mac fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well played. Okay, okay. Return, return my serve. I see. I see. Um, no, I, I was saying this on Twitter before about Hakeem Butler. I know that, uh, you know, I was talking about uh, the possibility of who they could draft there. We were talking about the offensive line and also was mentioning Julian Love. Uh, again, you know, I always say I don't, when I'm talking about a player and how good he is, I can't get into the medical stuff. Where I can bring it up and mention it, but I'm not going to try to gauge it because I don't know enough. So I know he's a really good player. Uh, but so obviously offensive line and cornerback are bigger needs than receiver, but I wouldn't have been able to pass up on the team Butler there with that second, third round pick. There is, there's no way I would have been able to pass up on that potential there. So if the, he's still available when they pick at three, uh, Kelvin Harmon's another one, Ryan Ridley as well. They're, they're both really good receivers, too, to add. I like Hakeem Butler more. Again, there's a high variance on receivers there. But then there's, you know, they, I'm sure they can look to address the offensive line as well. Maybe a Michael Jordan out of Ohio State. There's a couple other guys there, too. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, like you said, they could go with running back. Or, or uh, there's, there's a couple other ways they could go. I would most likely expect them to stay on the offensive side of the ball, though, and uh, probably take an offensive lineman or a team butler. It just seems to make the most sense. He's, he's at this point in the draft, it's too good a value to pass up. Really good player. I'm really surprised that he's still on board. Got to go with value. I know there's that desire to go for need, but when you get into the middle rounds, you just got to pick the best players. That's how the best teams continue to stay good. And so I hope that if Hakeem Butler is sitting there with that third pick on day number three, the Jets jump all over that. Because, again, Quincy Inunua is one really bad hit to the neck away from never playing football again. Robbie Anderson only has one year left on his deal, or at least he will once he finally gets that tender signed. And then finally, of course, we know that Jamison Crowder had the injury last year. So you need depth. Plus, also, he's that big body receiver that you can use in the red zone and also to go up and get jump balls certainly a different type of weapon than what Sam Darnold predominantly has in this offense so I would absolutely take him if I had the opportunity Chris last order of business before we go there was a trade we mentioned it Josh Rosen did end up getting traded to Miami and this is one of those where Miami had all the leverage because all the other suitors dropped out Miami was the only one that was still hanging around They originally had wanted the 48th pick in the draft, but Miami thought that was way too much to give up for Rosen, which is kind of crazy considering the guy went 10th overall last year. So they traded down, picked up extra picks, got the 62nd overall pick, which was the second to last pick in the second round, traded that for Rosen and a fifth round pick. So they got him for pennies on the dollar. I had Rosen ranked as my number three quarterback last year. I think that he compares to Eli Manning, which means... I think he'd probably be a good starter. I don't think he's going to be a great starter. But even if he can be a good starter, for what they gave up, 
that's a great deal, especially considering the fact that they don't have to pay all the guarantees that Arizona paid. They get him super cheap for four years. And what's the worst that happens? If he doesn't pan out, they move on because the investment is minimal. So if you're the Dolphins, I think this is a great move. Unfortunately for Arizona, they put themselves in a position where they had to do this because as much as I think it would have been smart in some ways to keep Josh Rosen and have the two of them go at it in competition and maybe see if you could turn Rosen into a higher pick later on because there would be injuries and teams might see him in the preseason and be impressed. It's just just the kind of thing that you don't necessarily want going on when you have a quarterback coming in in Kyler Murray who's brand new. You want it to be his team. You don't want him always looking over his shoulder, having to constantly deal with the media, especially since, let's be honest, he seems to be kind of awkward with the media as it is. So you don't want to put that extra pressure on him. So I guess they felt they had to get rid of Rosen. And that's essentially what happened. So Miami gets a quarterback that has a chance to be a really good starter on a very cheap deal for practically nothing. Arizona moves on, turns the page to Kyler Murray, and now we get to see the fun of Josh Rosen competing against Ryan Fitzpatrick for the starting job in Miami. And by the way, Chris, if he can't beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick for that job, then maybe Arizona made the right call getting rid of him and drafting Kyler Murray. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like Josh Rosen more than you do. I I did at the time. He was my number one guy coming out. Now, I, I... I gotta admit that I definitely undervalued Sam Darnold in some ways, but I I know the Eli comparisons. And when you watch uh, tape on on him at UCLA, it's impossible not to see some of Eli. The difference is where you re- number one you see it in really their pocket presence and mobility in the pocket, which is to say that they're not very mobile at all. Um, and they kind of run around awkwardly. But he is a really good pocket passer with strong arm and good accuracy. The, the thing is where he draws the most, where he drew most of the Eli uh, comparisons were when he would just be throwing off of his back foot. The difference that I see between them is most of the time when Rosen would be throwing and just launching the ball off his back foot, it was because that offensive line was an absolute disaster and he was just getting attacked and he was just kind of throwing the ball away to save his life. Where Eli, and I'm not talking about Eli in the last couple of years, but Eli throughout his entire career just had a habit of every like four or five throws of just throwing off his back foot. So I like him more in that than you do. I think he compares well to Eli, but I think he has a higher potential. He, you know, he didn't have the best situation in college at UCLA. The coaching staff, there was a lot of talent there. And then the, the situation in Arizona was just awful. And I'm rooting for the kid. I know Jets fans don't want to hear it, and that's fine. I don't root for teams. I root for players, if anything at all. And I think he got a raw deal in Arizona. I feel I feel for him there. It's, it's, it can't be fun. It's got to suck. And, uh, you know, he, I think he gets a raw deal where people talk about, uh, you know, what a problem he is and his character and this and that. And, again, I don't know him, but I – there's a lot of other people that have some character concerns that get kind of swept under the rug and we don't talk about it, but things get pointed out with him. So I feel bad for him. So I'm kind of rooting for him. Uh, but I, I totally understand why Jets fans won't be. So that's totally fine. 
But I think he has a chance to be good in Miami. We'll see what they do, what they put around him. But he, at the very least, he will have he should have a much better offensive line than he did last year. And we'll see. They still got Devontae Parker there, and we'll see if he's able to actually put anything together. They need to get him some more weapons. Uh, but he, he, it'll be good to see. And uh, you're right. You're you are right though. If he can't beat out Ryan Fitzpatrick by the time the season starts, then that's not going to be a good sign. One last thing I forgot to mention, by the way, one of the more entertaining parts of the NFL draft tonight was Reggie Wayne coming out and razzing the Tennessee Titans fans by constantly making reference to the fact that the Colts beat up on the Titans over and over again. And then even better than that was when Pat McAfee came out. And Pat McAfee is hilarious to begin with, but I wasn't expecting what he did. It was so funny. He came out and he says... I'm not going to get on Titans fans for their record because I'm a punter, so why would I talk about that? But I will say that I was a punter for the Colts, and we used to score a lot of points against the Titans, so you probably didn't see much of me, and you might not even know who I am, which really cracked me up. And then he continued and said that he retired the same year as Robert Mathis and somebody else from the Colts who I can't remember. And he said that year at the draft, they had Robert Mathis announce the second-round pick for the Colts. They had the other guy announce the third-round pick. And for the fourth-round pick, they had an orangutan announce the pick. And he said, imagine that I was replaced by an orangutan, but it's cool because the orangutan was terrible at his job, and that's why I'm here now to announce the pick. So Pat McAfee, if you know anything about him, he's hilarious. He does some shows for Barstool, I believe, and I always enjoy him, but I really think that he's a guy that should have his own late-night show because, quite frankly, I think he's funnier than any of the rest of these so-called late-night comedians. Yeah, I, I my favorite thing, the, the best, and really the only best uh, part of them moving around from city to city, they move in the draft around, the only thing that I really like about it, I'm sure it's cool for some of the fans, They there's a whole lot of people that turn out, they seem to have fun and enjoy it. But the best part about it is definitely the old players coming in and talking, announcing their picks and talking smack to their divisional opponents. I didn't see the Pat McAfee one, or I didn't have it. Um, I had it on mute at the time. I think I was working on something, writing something there, so I didn't uh, hear that one. But I did hear the Reggie Wayne one, and I was grateful for that. Thank the Lord on Twitter for bringing that back because that's something that we need to keep going. That's the best part of the moving around. For sure. I think sometimes you see some entertaining things at the draft that don't necessarily have to do with the actual picks being made. And it's part of the fun of the festivities. And quite frankly, when you have a process that takes so many hours, a little bit of levity like that really helps move things along. Chris, thanks so much for joining me to wrap up day number two and all the wild rumors that have been going on around this team today. It was something I didn't expect. I know it's something you didn't expect. You thought you were just going to go watch the Avengers in peace. And then I ruined your day by texting you and telling you about what was going on. But I'm glad that you looked into it, and we'll see how this situation progresses. We'll have to monitor it. Hopefully they find a way to get Gase and Mac to coexist, at least for one season, because it would be a real bad look, like you said, if one of them gets walked out the door after all this stuff came out. So fingers crossed that everything works out. And fingers crossed that the Jets get things right on day number three, and we will recap that tomorrow. That one will probably come out a little bit earlier because it'll end earlier since the festivities start at 12 noon, but we will have full coverage, recap, all of that on the podcast immediately following the end 
of round number seven. Chris, in the meantime, for anybody that wants to read your write-ups and wants to check out what Alan was writing and wants to get a hold of you on Twitter, how can they read the work of A Very Big Deal and interact with A Very Big Deal on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Jets Insider and at CNibly. And then you can uh, find my work at JetsInsider.com. Got a couple short articles up uh, right now, obviously, from Quinn and Williams last night and both the picks this week uh, from tonight. And then uh, tomorrow we'll have a bunch more there. Then I'm going to take a, take a nice relaxing Sunday to rest and get ready for Game of Thrones. And then Monday I'm going to dig into the tape uh, more on you know, Adoba and whoever they end up picking for the rest of this draft. And I, I already, I already got into the tape to Quinn and Williams and to Kai Polite. So I have my notes there. I just got to put those in the article form. So starting next week, I'll have a, a bunch of a breakdown stuff, a bunch of, you know, talking about those players in more detail. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter. Read his articles over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.